Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Williams. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. So, stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Good morning and welcome today to the Penis Project podcast with Peter Podias. <laughs> and Peter is the Director of Operations at 5D Clinics for the Cyberknife Radio Surgery in Perth, Western Australia. And Peter is a radiation therapist with a strong background working at the Sir Charles Garden Hospital at Western Australia, where he's been involved in supervising all aspects of stereostatic radio surgery. So, Peter, welcome to our podcast this morning. There's a, there's a lot of P's there. There's I know. penises, there's Pete's, there's projects, there's Proteuses. I feel <laughs> like we could make one of those, you know, pickled piper penis <laughs> po- podcast or something. It's all very confusing. <laughs> but it's g- good to be here, you guys. Thanks. So, I'd really love you to tell us a little bit about your own background as a um, medical person working as a radiation therapist, Peter. Uh, so it, it is it is interesting on my end. So the better part of probably 28 years ago, I landed into a subspecialty where I treated um, brain tumours uh, using a specialty called stereotactic radiosurgery. And it was a bit barbaric back then. You had to bolt some things onto patients' heads. Wow. <laughs> and you had to rem- remember lefty-loosey and righty-tighty, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but basically what it was was a big dose given in a single shot really, really accurately, um, and the dose would disappear really, really quickly. So if you had a brain tumour that's up against an optic nerve or a brain stem or something really quite sensitive, you could treat that brain tumour to a big, big dose and leave all the good bits alone. But what the cyber knife is, basically, is it, it does that perfectly, but you can treat other parts of the body so we've had this long clinical history for the better part of 27 years of treating these brain tumours. But when we saw the cyber knife, it all made perfect sense to us. Mm. And so the cyber knife was originally in Canada, is that right? Or no, it's, where a, was it? it's, it's American. Oh, okay. We won't hold that against them. But, <laughs> but, um, uh, but a neurosurgeon 25 years ago invented it. That He thought that if he put a miniaturised linear accelerator, which is a machine the radiation comes out of, and popped it on a robotic arm, it's able to just wrap the dose around the bits of the brain tumour that he wanted perfectly, unlike conventional radiotherapy. And that's why he invented it. 
But where it's progressed, certainly in the last 15 years, is the ability to track and treat things that move in the body real time. Wow. So that's the difference, isn't it? This is um, capturing organs that move. Correct. So with with that, and depending on what you're treating, there's a couple of cool bits of algorithms that um, can follow different organs like lung cancers. So if you've got this lung cancer, the robot locks on to the disease itself and as you move, the robot just moves with the, the tumour itself in real time. So if the patient was to hiccup, the robot hiccups. Oh, and also I suppose when someone's breathing, yes. it's difficult to follow the tumour or your liver's moving all the time or whatever's always moving really, isn't it? So rather than you burning, does that mean that you damage less surrounding tissue? That's exactly right. So in particular, the livers, you know, they, they move in six different directions at any one time. The robot can just actually move with the lesion. What that means is that you can actually just treat the lesion with a much smaller margin around it, but to a potent dose. So you're able to give a dose that is potent and actually works. Wow. So if someone arrives to your clinic and they say, I've come here just to find out about the cyber knife, how do you break it down in simple language for the everyday person? Uh, well, it d- depends on what they come for. So we've, we've got the highest end of radiation oncologists and operational staff uh, in the Southern Hemisphere on our end. So we, we've got a hugely experienced team that knows very, very quickly if the patient's appropriate or not. So not everyone's a radiosurgical case. So some patients require conventional radiotherapy, some patients require surgery, some patients require chemotherapy, immunotherapy, or all sorts of other bits and pieces. But because our team know exactly where to refer patients to if they're not appropriate for radiosurgery, we generally know where to send them to. So what's the difference then, Peter? If like someone asked us the question, they've been diagnosed with prostate cancer or a brain tumour and they're tossing up between traditional radiotherapy and CyberKnife, what, what would be the difference between the two? Well, the, the, the difference is, you know, well, there's a convenience difference. You know, mm. if you're, if you're um, a rural prostate fellow, a, a farmer guy, instead of having 38 treatments of conventional radiotherapy, you get it done in five goes, which is very, very convenient for our rural cases. Um, but also radiobiologically, uh, big doses in small amounts of goes for hormone-sensitive cancers like prostate cancer just works better. Mm. So it is fundamentally different also, but you just need the correct tool to be able to deliver the dose without hurting all the surrounding tissue around it, which is the bladder and the rectum and the pelvic floor and all, all the other bits and pieces. So we do know who should have radiosurgery mm-hmm. in the first instance and who should not. Uh, and an opinion from your GP or your specialist, if they don't know uh, who we are, it's a simple phone call away. Mm. And Sorry, oh, sorry, Joe. I'll just ask one more question. Um, but, so what... When would it be more appropriate to have traditional radiation than CyberKnife or is it always better to have less doses with stronger amount? Um, I, I would say, I would say we, it, 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 it's a hard one to pick up. But generally, the prostate size is a, is a fundamental thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a gentleman come through this week and his, his prostate's probably three times the size of a, a, a normal Prostate. So a normal prostate's about 35 to 50 cc's. Yes. And, and his was... 160. 
Right. Yep. So Triple. He, yep. Yeah. So <laughs> he, three to four times. Very, very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. So we we uh, you we strongly recommended for him to have surgery. Um, he 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 didn't actually want surgery at all, uh, but you know it would have been a, a different set of problems for him uh, with surgery compared to us as well. So it, with if we were to treat him, we would have changed our regime a little bit, but he would have just had a se- separate set of problems but for that gentleman um, surgery was absolutely recommended to him mm-hmm. that's good to know uh, so how how much time do your um, clients spend with uh, you know the treating physician to work that out uh, how, however long it takes often multiple multiple visits because prostate prostate as you guys know is a is a bit of a weird one there's so many options around for you know, you can you can do a whole heap of stuff. Um, getting the patient to decide what they want to do, what's best for them, in the end is actually their decision. Mm. So often people can absorb the information quickly or take the recommendation quickly and other times it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, in terms of a perfect patient, uh, I get asked all the time because now that, you know, this is another option for guys, looking at the prostate grade and the Gleason score, is there any difference between someone who comes with a Gleason 6 or 7 versus an 8 or 9 when you guys are reviewing who's the perfect patient? No, we've just got a different regime regime for the high-grade guys. So we've got a very um, exciting... Um, study for our high-grade patients but the intermediate cases is um, is you know it's it, it really is a wonderful treatment and a wonderful option it's a 98 percent control rate um, with less side effects than traditional radiotherapy or surgery possibly um, but with the high-grade prostate guys uh, that's that's slightly a slightly different kettle of fish it's it's where where the end part of that program for them. So basically what we do with the high-grade guys is that we're replacing a surgical procedure, which was a, a thing called high-dose rate brachytherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're able to achieve that completely non-surgically and non-invasively. But the outcomes for those patients are excellent. So you said something then before, which was 98% control rate. So yeah. does that mean that if someone comes into you with a diagnosis of a Gleason 7 of prostate cancer, is it is the cancer gone or is the cancer like controlled or So what what we're saying is that at 5 years there's there's no disease there. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how does that compare with getting your prostate out in those stats? Uh, well, the, if you remove the prostate, uh, yeah. the, the disease is gone because yeah. the prostate is removed. Where there's um, where there's some idiosyncrasies is that if you take your prostate out and your PSA doesn't go to zero, there's obviously some disease yep. in the in the bed there, and then you need to have 38 treatments of conventional radiotherapy after that. Uh-huh. So can you have cyberknife after surgery? Uh, you can, but it's 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 a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a different sort of regime. If there's some visible disease there. Yeah. After the prostate is actually removed, you will probably have some conventional radiotherapy to the entire bed, and then we can actually boost the visible bit of disease. Uh-huh. But traditionally, if the prostate is removed and um, there's and the, your PSA hasn't gone back to zero, you'll just have 38 treatments of conventional radiotherapy to the prostate bed. 
Yeah. Okay. And what about salvaged radiotherapy? Sorry, salvaged radical prostatectomy after cyberknife. Has that ever happened? Uh, that's not. That's not where we fail. Okay. So salvage means removing the prostate after the yeah. cyber knife because traditionally with um, standard radiation therapy that was something that was definitely trialled for a number of years and the impacts for patients was just too much. So they, they've, I know they've definitely abandoned that here. Uh, got a, any comment on that? Yeah. There's in, in the US there's a lot of surgeons who have um, removed prostates after cyber knife. Okay. But what they, how they treated their... Uh, prostate cases with cyber knife may have been a bit different to us so why they failed locally we're not sure yeah uh, but you can cert- they certainly say you can have um, a surgery after cyber knife they probably just treated partial part of the prostate yeah and that would you would think that it would be easier to s- do surgery after tradition after cyber knife than normal radiation because there'd be less damage to the surrounding tissues is that a reasonable yeah, assumption correct so our our dose disappears away from the bit that we want to treat 10% every millimeter yeah. whereas conventional radiotherapy the dose disappears 10% every centimeter wow that's such a difference yeah huge so it's um it is a it is but what all that actually means is that you can actually treat the bit that you want to a big dose without hurting the surrounding tissue. Mm-hmm. So I'm always curious. So someone comes in and they're a Gleason seven, and then they have the cyber knife to those affected areas that you can pick up on the. You do the PSMA PET scan, do you, before everyone? Uh, not not with or just ev- MRI. No, we we don't do a PSMA PET scan with every. Uh, low to intermediate grade prostate cancer. Um, but there's sometimes we would, for peace of mind of the patient, we certainly have a PSMA PET scan for every uh, uh, intermediate to high grade prostate cancer and certainly every high grade prostate cancer. Should we just explain to our audience in case they don't know what a PCMA PET scan is in do you simple language? Let Peter describe that. In simple language, it's a nuclear medicine whole body CT PET scan, which um, shows up the prostate cancer if it has spread anywhere in the body. So if it has spread to the nodes or the bones, it just lights up like a Christmas tree on this particular scan. Yeah, so it's a bit like, I kind of think of it like going through the airport, if everyone can remember what it's like to go through the airport, and the guy gets his little scanner thing, runs it all over your body and can tell if you've got like a two-cent piece in your shoe or something. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I've um, got visions of flying high with that movie, <laughs> the X-ray machine. Yeah. So, so that's that's hugely um, uh, important for the high-grade guys. But we've, we've actually sent intermediate prostate cancer blokes and uh, a spot has come up where you wouldn't expect it. Mm. And those... With those gentlemen as well, we have the ability of treating the metastatic bits of disease as well. Yeah, I've had several patients with that. Just uh, someone on Saturday who's just going so well, like a year and a half after the fact. Um, but my question leading into that was: Would it be possible if someone does have more um, pathological areas arise? Say he's had his five cyber knife treatments, and then two years down the track, because uh, he's still got his prostate intact another two or three lesions arise, is it possible then to add cyber knife again? Uh, to the prostate yeah, itself? Yeah, uh, you, you can retreat yep. uh, respectfully, mm-hmm. um, but it, like I said, no one's, no one's actually failed locally. Okay. And, oh, I'm going to ask a question which may be really silly for someone like me to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway and I'm sure some of our listeners will be interested. Can Is there any tissues in the body that can't be treated? So 
I know you can treat soft tissue, but can you treat like bone, bony mats? Uh, yeah, we treat a lot of bony mats. Okay. Uh, it works particularly well for uh, metastatic prostate cancer. Right. Uh, metastatic uh, breast cancer as well. For, mm-hmm. for anything that's hormone sensitive that doesn't like these big doses in small goes, it just works incredibly well. Right. And so that asks, brings me to another question then. When people have men who have prostate cancer have um, traditional radiation, they often need to have um, hormone-lowering therapy. Mm-hmm. And so with CyberKnife, is that necessary as well or is it not as common? Or uh, Depending on the patient. Okay. So our high-grade guys, the, the regime that we have for them is a, a period of hormones for three to six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll have um, a conventional radiotherapy to the prostate in the bed around it reducing the risk of possible disease in the bed just outside of the prostate, mm-hmm. just reducing risk. And then we'll come in, that's to 28 treatments of conventional radiotherapy, and then we'll come in and give three treatments of CyberKnife, which is actually more dose than the whole of the 28 put together. Wow. That's, our, that's our regime for those ones. We have a lot of um, uh, metastatic nodal patients that mm. if there's just one little node that's sitting next to the rectum or something, we, we'll just treat that individually. But if there's multiple nodes in a chain, um, we would give some conventional radiotherapy to the to that entire chain. In the idea of that is that if there's microscopic disease in between the nodes that we know, the conventional radiotherapy can knock them off. But then we'll go in and just hit every one of those individual nodes. And do people get lymphedema when you no. no, so it's different. So when you have surgery, you can often get lymphedema with the, which is for anyone who's listening, um, swelling of like a, the, an arm or a leg or somewhere where the lymph nodes aren't draining the lymph fluid. Um, so you get that often if you have them surgically removed. Yeah, we we've never seen we've never seen that with CyberKnife. You've yeah. seen it with conventional radiotherapy, of course. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, m- moreover, with with breast ladies, you see that quite yeah. often. Yeah. Um, just as you mentioned females, because there'd be a lot of females listening to our podcast, um, what, what, have you had much success with ovarian cancer? Because um, it's it, such a difficult to diagnose condition. and It, it is. It is. We, yeah. uh, often the, all the ovarian ladies that we see are very late stage mm, ladies. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're in a real scrap by the time they get to us. So localised disease, we're very, very confident in knocking it off. But mm. advanced ovarian cancer, it's not just the, um, the visual disease that you can see. It's all the microscopic s- stuff that is so sinister. Because mm. there's recently a, a West Australian that I only came to know sadly after her passing, a, a, a um, soprano centellus named uh, Taryn Feibig. And it just there's been a little bit of conversation about her and... It just was quite devastating for me to read. There hasn't really been much improvement in outcomes over 20 years. So um, certainly it would be wonderful if the CyberKnife had a role to play if we get an opportunity to screen I think earlier. there's a I think there's a new immunotherapy drug that is um, quite successful, mm. a, bit, a bit different in the ovarian cancer world. And I think in combination with these molecular type treatments and then a good localised treatment, mm. uh, I think things could be very, very different yeah. moving forward. All right, we'll move back to men's cancer. So basically we'll focus on the prostate. What side effects are likely to occur with the cyber knife? So the the likely side effects. Probably also to break it down to short term and long term. Yeah. 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 So the, the short term stuff for us is, uh, is tiredness during treatment. So we highly recommend uh, patients exercise every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during their treatment they, they feel like they just want to 
have a good sleep, we tell them to get up and get moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is they, they feel like they need to pee more often, but generally a fortnight after the treatment's finished, that settles back to where they once were. The long-term the long term side effects has always, if you look at the literature, has always been um, paralleled with conventional radiotherapy. Okay. So they've, yep. they've always spoken about that and the long-term studies of you know, they, they're coming out of the US of 17-year local control. Oh, uh, that, that long already. Right. Yeah, so I was going to ask that. So Cybernife's been used for 17 years to control prostate cancer in so, the US. Yeah, certainly in the US they've been doing it for 17 years. I think they've treated pretty close to a million blokes or something using it. Wow. But what the, you know, there's a lot of clinics in the US um, and I suspect that they, they actually do things a little bit differently to us. I know that there's some very, very good clinics in the US um, but generally what we do is we ensure that the dose, that the normal tissue, which is the bladder and the rectum, and we've got some new interventions that we use here in Oz that I know the Americans don't do that would reduce the risk of those kind of late that side things like effects. like the spacer? The spacer. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, basically that's a gel like a good bit of grout work that sits <laughs> between the prostate and the rectum and uh, we get a, a good urologist to put that in for us and that disappears after about three months. But effectively for us, it gives us a one centimetre gap between the prostate and the rectum, which we is a considerable gap. So the rectum gets a very, very, very small dose. So that's to protect the rectum from any like radiation damage? Yeah, so late effects for... Um, rectums five to ten years down the track it's um you know with all these kind of rectal side effects we just don't want to see them Mm. so just introducing that reduces the risk of that um, dramatically so how long like say i had a prostate totally impossible but let's just say (laughs) i had a prostate and i came in and i had five treatments of cyber knife like Mm. how long would i be expecting to have like the effects of the radiation coming out in my body like when could I like safely go okay I've been it's stabilized that. No, it's stabilized yeah. and now I'm on the like the the flat plane or the way up again oh everyone everyone we we generally if if you don't have um if you don't have issues before you start mm-hmm. we expect a fortnight afterwards that you're just going to be fine so we want all of our patients to be assessed correctly by a, a good urologist. Mm-hmm. We just got to make sure that everything is working properly. The flows are good. There's no obstructions. There's none of those sorts of bits and pieces. And then if you present to us well, you generally a fortnight afterwards, you're, you're well. Right. And then a year down the track, do side effects come out, long-term G- side effects? G- generally not. Um, but it is a bit of a – there's a bit of a curve on that one because we – we also treat a lot of older gentlemen that naturally would have issues coming forward as well. So if you're if we if you treat a a, a fit fifty five year old fella mm-hmm. compared to a unfit eighty six year old, yeah, of course. Um, so you know it, but that's where the management of the team's really really important. So we have long term follow up with our patients as well. So things do arise individually. Mm-hmm. It's not just the cyber knife treatment. There's all these other stuff that you've got to put into the mix as well. Mm. Yeah, of course, because you've natural ageing process. So how many patients would we have um, actually trialled the cyber knife on in Western Australia? So I think it originated in, was it 2014 at Charlie's? Yeah, so 2014, I, I would say that, I would say we're approaching the 900 patient mark. 
Okay. And so you've been following up patients potentially for seven years? Uh-huh. Okay. Sorry, is that just 900 prostates or 900 altogether? Oh, n- 900 prostates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 900 yeah. prostate blokes. Um, yeah, a lot of fellas. Mm. So you've got yourself and um, Professor David Joseph who've been pioneering that all along. So it's great to – you've still got that team up and running, so. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's like any good team. We've got very strong relationships. We've got four consultants on our team at the moment uh, who are highly experienced uh, – and good fellas, mm. which is really, really important. Um, you, it's the intent of the team that is just as important as the as the cyber knife itself. An example of that it really is that you know we we put, we plug in all these numbers to make sure that we just treat the prostate to a big dose, and the dose disappears very, very quickly, and we we say we don't want it to treat the bladder or the rectum or the pelvic floor or the penile bulb or any of those bits and pieces and we press the play button, it comes up with a pretty good result, but we know it can get better. So then it's just the intent of the operational team just pushing the dose in tighter and tighter and tighter. And that just takes time and uh, the, the, the good nature of who's, who your operational team actually are. Mm-hmm. On that, I actually have a patient who's a radiologist and uh, he made mention to me that um, at 5D they're very careful to try not to um, involve the urethral sphincter, for example, mm-hmm. um, because other clinics are not that concerned about being so specific to that. I actually will say that I've had a few patients who've had the cyber knife and they get referred to me um, one to two years later mm-hmm. and they have had periods of incontinence develop. But in every case so far, I've been able to just p- apply some pelvic floor training and then it's pretty mm-hmm. much resolved itself mm-hmm. versus traditional radiation therapies that I've seen over the years where that, that can be a lot more stubborn to respond to. In my field, that's actually a really lacking area. We don't actually encourage um, or we don't have any opportunity to see patients prior to radiation therapy to help work on the pelvic floor structures. But, yeah, I'm just wondering if you could comment on how you deal with the pelvic floor. Well, in prostates. <laughs> well, we, we, with us, we, we generally get all our patients to have a, a, a strong exercise regime when we meet them. We just highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike surgery, we haven't delved into that space. And, you know, talking to someone like you, Joe, that's really important for us that, you know, that that actually does help, that yeah. introdu- the introduction of those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So, you know, th- that's, that's a bit of a learning curve for all of us. But the cyber knife is pretty unique. That you know, the the urethra itself, we can we can we can highlight that structure, and the rope we can conform the dose around it, not to touch uh, structures w- within within the prostate itself. So what about um, obviously the nerves that operate the sexual? I was waiting function. for the sexual function. To I know. Come I've in. just been holding on. <laughs> to yes. Middle east of the sexual. The, the nerves are around the outside of the prostate. So, like. The long-term side effects of sexual function, like can you avoid hitting those nerves and, and or or is sexual side effects long t- uh, a problem that's going to happen? And I understand it's issue, isn't it? Because if you're a, a guy who had cyber knife today in two years' time, whether you had it or not, your erections aren't going to be the same as they were two years ago when you're ageing. So it's hard hard thing to measure. It, it, it's it's almost, well, you're, you're the one that <laughs> probably is the only one that can actually measure it. But 
uh, the, the nerve set a couple of millimetres on the back part of the prostate there. And we, we do actually encompass them when we do treat the prostate as well right. uh, to a slightly reduced dose, but we do encompass them. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't treat the penile bulb, which seems to be really, really important, mm-hmm. um, you know, conventional radiotherapy yeah. compared to yep. um, uh, cyber knife radiosurgery. So that's, that's a really, really important point. Mm. But, you know, the things that... Um, that are put into play is that often the patient, before they come to us, has uh, urinary issues, you know, so then all the sexual stuff is compromised before they start because they've got all these side effects before they start with this swollen prostate in yeah. the first or, instance. And they've also often been prescribed drugs that affect their erections anyway. Cor- so. Correct. All, yeah. all those bits and pieces. What What's really interesting for us is that we're actually treating a lot of young blokes at the moment. Mm-hmm. So if you were ever going to measure what the CyberKnife actually does. It, it, we're, we're having a lot of young fellas who are coming through who are fit and well. Yeah. They're the guys that we should really measure. Yeah. That, are you collecting any, like, erection yeah. scores or anything on those young guys? I, we, we do follow them up. Yeah. Um, so we should get know. that going. Yeah, because, we should. Um, I'm in, actually involved in a little bit of research at UWA where we've been waiting for a particular new scanner for our real-time ultrasound with... Um, Dr. Ryan Stafford, and that's arriving any day. And uh, we, we really want to um, – we've already linked up with a few guys from Charlie's anyway to have – it's all waiting to go. So we, we'll, we'll have a chat and make mm. sure we converge our – Yeah, because I'd love to see the data of like the erection scores pre and then radiate, follow them up for a couple of years after, yep. like, especially with the young guys. Like You need the guys yep. that are in their like, late 40s, 50s to, yes. to get a good accurate – Yes. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So you know, just so everyone knows, like in the in the traditional um, radiotherapy space, anyone under sixty, they would just put a line through them to have no radiotherapy at all. So the mm-hmm. surgeries, the surgeons would always say, "You're under sixty, radiotherapy is not appropriate." And the reason for that is the long term <laughs> so side effects of radiation to the pelvic floor and the bladder and all the rectum and all those bits and pieces mm-hmm. we're, we're we're a different entity to that yeah so you as because cyber knife's more precise then mm-hmm. you don't feel as though the long-term side effects are as great correct yeah and so this i'm i'm interested so as joe said like we don't often get to see radiation patients pre mm-hmm. um like from a erectile function point of view like i'd love to see them pre you know, or, you know, to talk to them about how they can improve their function and maybe prevent, thing, you know, the, the side effects. Well, bingo, Is that possible? because I've actually had one <laughs> patient um, who I saw on Sunday, Saturday, don't work mm. on Sundays, um, who was the only guy that's had CyberKnife that I've seen pre. Wow, and how'd that go? He's been brilliant and I actually see him every three months. I, I said, I've got to learn from you and make sure that we're keeping an eye on this. So uh, he's also doing the exercise program up at ECU with the Vario Clinic. Awesome. Um, but I get to see guys who've had cyber knife without ever having pelvic floor training for their little bit of bowel and um, urinary issues and some sexual dysfunction and then I kind of mopping up afterwards whereas – this was one patient who I've seen and continue to work the way through who hasn't had any symptoms. So I've only got a test case of one. But yeah. <laughs> so I've um, seen a few CyberKnife guys post, but it's usually a couple of years down the track when and they've been to a talk I've given or yeah. they've listened to the podcast it's and they've gone. time before. But I'd love to see them beforehand. So, yeah, can we put in the word there that Joe and I want to see these guys before? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but only yeah. because it, it is 
be, like, we actually lead here in Western Australia in the surgical patients being referred to us pre-surgery and so it's usually the biopsy to operation time being about six weeks. I get most of my patients in my own trial. It was a five-week on average leading time, which was fantastic with the patients because they had much less issues afterwards. But, um, yeah, we just don't get to see and have that prep, which I think psychologically is also beneficial as well because guys can actually do things. Mm. Well, the, the, in the surgical world, um, they're usually set up with physios and nurses and all yeah, sorts definitely. of... Yeah, definitely. We all, always see them, all, yeah. all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, in the radiotherapy world, traditionally there hasn't been that um, set up to begin with. But uh, in, in WA... Well, things are clearly different. Yeah. So w- we can change practice. Yeah, we need to change that, I think, because as you said, mentioned before, like brushed on Joe about the psychological side effect, you know, like when guys are having any kind of radiation and they're having the testosterone lowering therapy, like they get a bit sad, you yes. know. And so quite often a lot of my consult will be talking about their depression score and their mental health and how they're dealing with their relationship. And sometimes it's just finding workarounds for their sexual function that is nothing to do with actually whether or not their nerves work. You know, it's just the psychological side of it. Or even just, um, you know, joining a program or a support group or even the PROS program that I run where you're, you know, guided towards exercise sessions Mm. where everyone's in the same boat so they can can share that sort of uh, experience. And I I always find that if guys are physically doing things to help themselves, that they – psychologically just don't seem to be suffering as much because they've got the tools. They're a bit empowered. Yeah, they're just not the patient lying down and, Mm. you know, hoping for an outcome. They're actually involved in their own physical recovery. Doing something is is enormous. Mm. Mm. I'm so Uh, pleased that you said you you encourage your patients to exercise, yeah. Yeah. um, I I, I go for a run with David Joseph every morning. have (laughs) have done for the past. Does he wear his bow tie? um, (laughs) It's dark so no one will see it. He he doesn't wear it. Maybe you should get him one with a little light. Yes, a little glowing one. (laughs) (laughs) He he runs with his four border collies so they got the little lights on him. But (laughs) but basically um, basically I see uh, one of our high-grade patients that we see at the end of our run every single morning. So he's vigilantly out there doing it. Wow, and that's he, fantastic. And he's a, he's a fit old bugger, right? Yeah. And he's more fit now than post-treatment than he was before it. And yeah. so that's, you know, we see that a lot. It's yeah. interesting you should say that. I, I think that I s- we see that a lot too, don't we, Joe? Like where, you know, it's almost like prostate cancer diagnosis sometimes like just improves people's overall health because suddenly it's like – They've started exercising, eating better, drinking less alcohol, so they've reduced their cardiovascular. A lot of us slacken off between about 30 to 50 in those career development years, don't we? And then Mm. you you often say, oh, you've got a second chance, you know, to live the the second half of your life um, much better, much healthier. So that's us, Joe. We're going to get fit and super fit this year, are we? (laughs) See how you guys will get any fitter. (laughs) So tell us the... Cost. Let's. How much would it cost a patient, and is it covered by Let's Medicare? Private for a pro, for a prostate cancer patient. Yeah, for a prostate with, uh, cancer just a patient. Yeah. yeah. So the, the cost side, Medi- yeah, Medicare. It well, it's um, comparable to uh, normal private radiotherapy. Mm-hmm. So Which the co- is? the co- it runs anywhere between two and seven thousand dollars. Okay. Medicare pays for a, a big portion of the um, of the treatment. Was it eighty percent? Eighty percent. Yeah, so it's just like any other sort of convention, um, conventional radiotherapy costings. So sorry, the two to seven thousand is that out of pocket or out, out of pocket? Out of pocket, and that's for the full treatment. That's for the full treatment. Okay. That also compares to most of the, um, even the robotic surgeries. Mm. Most patients 
around the about yeah. five to eight thousand. And um, what about does HBF or uh, sorry, not HBF, private health? I feel like I should be on the ABC radio. I shouldn't mention companies. Yeah. Um, does private health insurance cover any? Uh, private health is important. We we have some pre procedures that we need done. You yep. know, for our prostate cases, we we need to put in some gold marker. Well, not we. The urologist needs to put in some gold marker seeds in the space or mm-hmm. and the private health covers uh, right. that all those sorts of bits of procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I must mention as well, like we we spoke about the West Australian thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's because we're on the other side of the country. It seems like that we can really do what we need to do to look after our patients. The CyberKnife doesn't exist anywhere else other than Western Australia, which is bizarre. And do you get many people from coming over east? Yeah, we've. It, it's been a challenge over the last um, of course. fourteen, or, f- 14 mm. or fifteen months. Um, we we have some patients from Victoria now who are um, in quarantine at the moment. They just got caught on the wrong flight, mm. which is so for the prostate guys. That's just uncon- inconvenient, but. Sometimes for um, for some more hairy type treatments that we treat, it's 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 more than just an inconvenience. It's 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 a real anxiety thing to mm. get these patients out so we can treat them faster. Well, imagine if you had a brain tumor and you're waiting for CyberKnife and you're stuck in quarantine. Uh, that's that's just yeah, be tragic. Yeah, that's just terrible. Yeah. So we we actually do have a lot of interstate patients that come and see us. Right. Um, and but we we need to um, we we need to fix that for the rest of Oz as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we interviewed um, Professor Declan Murphy uh, a couple of months ago, and he made that claim. He said, "You in Western Australia are a long way ahead. You've got two cyber knives." So yes. Mm. yes. Um, you mentioned that you might be expanding, or oh, we 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 have to. Mm. So is that that's to the rest of Australia potentially? Is it? Yeah, but we we got to wrap it around the correct humans again. That's that's the important part. Mm. So we we there's some very talented oncologists and operational people around Australia, really talented, mm-hmm. um, the best in the world, and we want to arm them with the best tools. Yeah. So and I mean, I assume it's a lot of training to to learn how to use one of these machi- these robots. Yeah, we would need we would need um, whoever we get o- over there to come to us for three to six months. I imagine, and then we'd have to release. But why wouldn't you want to be involved? Like it's so exciting to be able to offer patients much less invasive treatment. It's mm. just um, it's the inability for people to travel at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it, these are all the things that we just don't consider. You know, front page of the paper yesterday was how some very high percentage, sixty seven percent or something of Australians support eighty seven yeah. was it support. You know, the border lockdowns. But if you're fit and well, and the border lockdowns don't affect you, yes. then you know. But in these situations, it's just a, a good thing to think about how these sort of situations really do. If the border lockdowns actually are really affecting people in more ways than you probably think, if you're fit and healthy. We, well, we've we've had people who have delayed treatment, wait, waiting for the borders to open because mm. they didn't want to quarantine for a fortnight. They can always come here and quarantine for a fortnight. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's just another managerial thing that is really difficult to. To navigate. To navigate. So yeah. how would someone listening, say, Sydney right now, uh, actually access you? Or even in Perth for that matter. Yeah. How does anybody access you? Oh, they, they, just, they just call us directly. Um, but we just need um, we just need a referral from a, either a nurse practitioner or their GP or their specialist in oh, the I'm end. I'm so impressed you mentioned nurse practitioner. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's usually, it's usually the nurse practitioners that have, um, certainly in the prostate cancer world, 
there's a lot of guys who've just been sitting on their prostate cancer for quite some time mm-hmm. and not doing anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's usually the so much fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually the nurse practitioners that end up managing after the first one or two years of them not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. At least they're seeing someone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, so, what, is there a website people can go to? Uh, there is. There Do you is. mind telling us <laughs> the website address? Uh, well, it's just five dclinics.com.au. Okay. So just to wrap up, basically, it's if you have the cyber knife over traditional radiation, it's five instead of 38 38 treatments. Um, That's usually five days a week over seven to eight weeks. Over seven to eight weeks for the traditional. And then with you guys, it's Monday to Friday for one week. Is that right? Uh, We we treat every second day. Oh, okay. Right. Every second day. So we generally work on the weekends as well. So it'd be more more or less a two-week or ten-day yeah. yeah. And the advice really would be someone, a newly diagnosed patient, in, in my opinion, is that they should go and get an opinion from, you know, the different, like, you know, from the surgeons, from the radiologists the and then all the different options and then decide what's best suited for them personally because everybody's situation is so individual. Is that correct? Correct. But in, in the end, if, if you don't want to nut it out all yourself... The bottom line of it is that at some point you need to put some faith in someone. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, and and we actually do have a completely unbiased team. So That's it, something I've always been yeah. so impressed by. When I send patients to you, I'm like, just go and have that conversation. I, I know many times I've actually mentioned it and the patient's like, oh, didn't know about that option. Yeah. Um, and... What I've been really appreciative is is your clinic has been really available, like usually within a couple of days to have a chat to a patient and it's very reassuring and quite a number have proceeded. So for them to have a chat to one of you guys, do they need to have their referral first or can they come and talk to you and then get their referral after if that's the method they decide to go down? I I spend a lot of my time actually navigating patients away from the cyber knife as well uh, because I know that they're not appropriate but I make sure that I find the person who is appropriate for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds great. So a chat, a chat is um, really quite useful because mm-hmm. they can kind of wrap their heads around what we do uh, before their consult. So, but we're we're very open to talk. Great. I've seen the come in there and had a look, and I know you have too, Joe. Yeah. It's an amazing piece of equipment. What What's it worth? That machine what's it worth or what did we pay for it <laughs> <laughs> well it's priceless i know that but, oh, but what did you pay for it, it like it, what it's is a machine pretty like it's pretty much a 30 million dollar exercise all the way through you know not just the robot but you know like this the special uh, brickwork <laughs> the special brickwork that comes from the u.s and then nutting out all the bits and pieces so it's um it's an expensive bit of radiotherapy machinery yeah. Uh, probably four or five times the cost of what a traditional radiotherapy machine is. Uh, but we believe in radiosurgery. Yeah, that's amazing. When I saw the machine and I th- saw like a sample you had where it had like you had like a plastic head there or something and it moving <laughs> around on the – I was just like, my God, it's like being in a sci-fi movie in that room. So the idea, the idea of our clinic though is that we, you know, we want it to be very friendly and, you know, r- really quite pleasant. Yeah. Because generally how our patients walk in, that's how they walk out. And mm. Our general approach is that we want our patients to come and have their treatment. We want them to get the result that they should get, which mm. is get rid of their disease. We want them to have very little side effects. So mm. then it just becomes a, just a forgettable sort of thing. They can just move on and live their lives. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't that be nice that cancer just become a, com- a forgettable 
Yeah. Just move on. Part of our life. I always tell, think about prostate cancer now. Like it's almost become a chronic disease rather than an acute disease, hasn't it? Because, yeah. you know, it's something that men have to watch for for the rest of their life, but they often live a completely normal lifespan. Correct. Even it. even for the metastatic guys, mm. we, we just go in and spot world any bits and pieces that have come up and yeah. then they just keep on keep on doing what they're doing. Yeah. But they need to keep up their, uh, you know, their exercise and all the other bits and pieces that they need to do. It's more like a maintenance thing rather than a sinister treatment. Yeah. How the world is changing. Peter, thank you so much. Peter Podias from CyberKnife 5D Clinics in Perth, Western Australia. Thank you so much for your time and inspiration today. And I'll put in a we'll put in the links to like Cyber Knife and everything on our show notes, and um, we might also make up a little ditty, Peter Podias Penis Project something, then we'll see if we can all <laughs> practice it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Good on you. Thank you so much. Cheers. See you soon. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there. All of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love for you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one. Of those warm afternoons, boys on their bikes, shooting stones at each other through the